Here on the ground, change happens fast. Problems feel frequent and urgent. It's loud and anxiety runs high. From a satellite view, the Earth looks the same as it did thousands of years ago. We've been here before. Let's learn from our past and shoot for a better future. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of A Satellite View. I'm Todd Mickelson, speaking at you from September 9th, 2023 in the Space and Time Continuum. You may or may not know of a movie that came out in 1976. It starred Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman. They played, respectively, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, journalists from the Washington Post back then. The movie was called All the President's Men. The subject matter was basically the Watergate scandal. Now, there was an interesting scene that I always remember because of where I lived back then. I I still live very close to the same place now. We lived in a town called Wyzetta, Minnesota. It was kind of weird because I felt like I was the only progressive, even though we didn't use that word back then. Everyone else seemed kind of conservative and, you know, they liked Ronald Reagan uh, in the 80s. I didn't. I felt kind of alone in in, uh, my political. But however, you know, us kids, we didn't talk about it much. It was a very rich community, one of the richest in the state of Minnesota, if not the five-state area, although our school building, we had to have buckets in the hallway when it rained. (laughs) So they have a beautiful school building now, but back when I went many, many uh, years ago, the school building was uh, not the greatest, and it was too small. We were growing out of it fast. Anyway, in the summer of 1972, That's when the main crime uh, from Watergate occurred. Also, another thing happened. There was a kidnapping of a very wealthy family, the, the basically the woman, the mother and wife, and she was kidnapped. She was later, this is an incredible story on its own, and I'm not going to go into it right now. She was found, she was okay. I mean, it was horribly traumatic, but she survived and everything. Uh, She later went on to build a cancer center because she herself got breast cancer. She built a a main cancer center in Minneapolis. But in the movie All the President's Men, Bob Woodward, who is Robert Redford in the movie, he's looking into this slush fund that the Republicans had, mainly CREEP. can't remember what the C stands for. Oh, Committee for the Re-Election of the President, CREEP. He found the name of somebody in a phone book that I recognized the cover of. Back then, we had big, fat phone books where everybody's address and phone number was printed. And the Minneapolis one had a certain cover page on it that I just distinctly remember. And in the movie, he goes looking at all these phone books because he found a newspaper article that talked about this guy from Wyzetta. So he goes and gets a Minneapolis phone book, and he calls this guy, and the guy in the movie, on the phone with Robert Redford, says, I don't know how my check got in there. Listen, I got to go. My neighbor's wife was just kidnapped. I really have to go. And Robert Redford's like, oh, okay. Um, Gee, I'm sorry to hear that. It just sounded really weird in the movie. But I remember that because on CCO radio, WCCO, that summer, they kept saying, if you see a woman who's dazed and confused, call the police. And I had to ask my mom, 
what does dazed and confused mean? Because I was, you know, eight years old or something like that. So anyway, the main talk in Wyzetta was about Virginia Piper, who had been kidnapped. So now we go forward to 1976, and that scene is in the movie of All the President's Men. Another scene is in the movie of All the President's Men, where a guy, Frank Willis, played himself. He was a young black guy who worked in the Watergate office building. In the movie, he plays himself. <laughs> he said, I never received anything for my role in the infamous Watergate scandal, but he was happy to be in the movie. <laughs> so I just thought that was interesting. Now, what Frank Willis, the part he plays in our history, is actually kind of huge in a really small way. And what I'm talking about is the dunderheads who committed the original crime. I'm going to read, this is actually from rediscoveringblackhistoryblogsarchives.gov. And it's talking about Frank Willis. On the night of June 17th, 1972, security guard Frank Willis was making his usual rounds when he noticed a piece of duct tape covering the lock of a back parking lot door to the Watergate office building in Washington, D.C. He removed the tape, only to return 30 minutes later to find that another piece of tape had reappeared. Willis quickly contacted authorities about his strange observation. The local police arrived at the building and searched each office suite. The police, along with Willis, found five men hiding in the Democratic National Committee headquarters office. The DNC headquarters office was also located in the Watergate office building in Washington, D.C. All of these men had connections to Richard Nixon's re-election campaign. And it was the arrest of those guys that made Bob Woodward be called on a Saturday morning to go check out their, I, I believe it was an arraignment. And he noticed that like three of them worked for the CIA previously. That's what got the Washington Post like, hey, what's going on here? And then they found out that they were part of the Nixon campaign. And it led to him look, finding that slush fund and calling the guy in Wyzetta who said my neighbor's wife had just been kidnapped. It began the very beginning of water. And that's why it's called the Watergate scandal. These guys were going into the DNC for the second time because the first time they went and they planted some bugs so that they could listen in on what the DNC was doing during the, the election campaign of 1972 because Nixon was so paranoid that he was going to lose. So he wanted to spy on the DNC in their headquarters office. So some guys went in and planted bugs. One or two of the bugs didn't work, <laughs> which, which is pretty dumb to begin with. And then they went in a second time. And of course, one of the guys put a piece of tape on the door so that it wouldn't lock. It's an old-fashioned way of, you know, a door that automatically locks. You put a piece of duct tape on uh, the handle so that it doesn't, you know, lock up. So they put the tape on, and then a guy, one of the dunderheads, saw that the tape had been removed. So he put another piece of tape on. Didn't stop and think about how that piece of tape got removed, and, by, and it was by a security guard, and that probably that security guard would come back and see that the tape was removed again. Well, this seems to be how the GOP operates. Now we're going to switch over 
to the superseding indictment that Jack Smith put forth when a guy named Yusil Tavares, he's an IT guy at Mar-a-Lago, he came back to Jack Smith after the original indictment and said, hey, I hired a new lawyer. My old lawyer was uh, bought and paid for by Donald Trump, and he basically told me to lie. I got a new lawyer who told me, just come back and tell him, I'm sorry I lied. I want to tell you the truth now. He turned on Trump. Very much the same as Cassidy Hutchinson in the summer of 2022. She had a lawyer that Trump was paying for, and that guy said, you know, if you say you can't remember, it's not actually lying. And then she said, yeah, but if I do remember and I say I can't remember, it is lying. So she worked really hard to try and get an independent counsel and get out of the Trump world. And then she was a star witness last summer at the J6 committee hearings. Uh, Yusel Tavares did this same thing. Now, the story I'm about to tell you you know, what we do here on Satellite View is we, we go back in history and we see what the similarities to things are now. What happened was the FBI was coming on, I believe, June 3rd. They were meeting up at Mar-a-Lago to get the rest of the boxes of classified documents. That's the day that, and we're going to talk about this in the second segment, Evan Corcoran, a lawyer for Trump, he made a different lawyer sign an affidavit saying, this is it. This is all that we have. Now, he made the other lawyer sign it. And that's what we're going to talk about later, because he wasn't sure that that document was telling the truth and he didn't want his name on it. So the FBI comes. They're assured that this is it with an affidavit. May 11th, there was a subpoena. And that's why this was happening on June 3rd. Three weeks later or so, the subpoena happened. The FBI comes and says, okay, give us all the boxes. They say, here's all the boxes. I promise that's it. The FBI notices that there are surveillance cameras by the storage room where they knew that these boxes had been taken in and out of. So right after that, June 3rd, the DOJ subpoenas Trump for the surveillance footage taken by those cameras. Trump panics. So... A couple other people, Walt Nauta, Trump's bodyguard and valet and everything. Carlos D. Oliveira was hired in early 2022 as a property manager at Mar-a-Lago. Now, you know, Donald Trump doesn't care about this guy at all, but he talked to him for 24 minutes on the phone. The DOJ subpoenas for the surveillance footage. Trump panics and he calls D. Oliveira. And they speak for approximately 24 minutes on the phone. This is on June 23rd, just the day after they got the subpoena for this footage from those cameras. On Friday, June 24th, 2022, I'm reading directly from the indictment. The Department of Justice emailed the attorney for Trump's business organization, the final grand jury subpoena, which required the production of any and all surveillance records, videos, images, photographs, blah, blah, blah. That same day... At 1.25 p.m., Trump attorney number one spoke with Trump by phone regarding the subpoena for security camera footage. At 3.44 p.m., Nauta received a text message from a co-worker indicating that Trump wanted to see Nauta. Less than two hours later, Nauta, who was scheduled to travel with Trump to Illinois the next day, changed his travel schedule and began to make arrangements to go to Palm Beach, Florida instead. Nauta provided inconsistent explanations to colleagues for his sudden travel to Florida. 
He lied about why he was going there. Around the same time Nauda was making his travel plans to go to Florida, Nauda and De Oliveira contacted Tavares, who was the Director of Information Technology at the Mar-a-Lago Club. Nauda sent text messages to Tavares, asking, Hey bro, you around this weekend? And then Nauda texts De Oliveira, asking, Hey brother, you working today? De Oliveira responds, Yes, I just left. Nauda then called De Oliveira, and they spoke for approximately two minutes. A few minutes later, Tavares texts a response to Nauda. I am local, entertaining some family that came to visit. What's up? And then Nauda writes back, Okay, cool, no biggie, just wanted to see if you were around. Enjoy, bro! So he's trying to act like really nonchalant. I'm going to go off script here. I'm not going to read because it takes a long time to read through this document. But basically what happened then, Nauda, he calls De Oliveira through some bushes. He says, hey, I'm on the other side of the bushes on the next part of the property because he doesn't want to be on camera. But the camera picks up De Oliveira going through the bushes. <laughs> so De Oliveira and Nauda have a little meeting. Now, this is where Nauda t- obviously tells De Oliveira, hey, we need to erase this surveillance footage because, you know, they just subpoenaed for this surveillance footage and we need to tell them that we don't have it. So we need to erase it, which is blatant obstruction of justice. So D. Oliveira goes in and he's trying to be real nonchalant with Tavares, the IT guy. And he's like, hey, the boss says that we need to get rid of this footage. We need to erase it. And Tavares goes, oh, I have I don't think I even know how to do that. And I, I would not have the clearance to do that. I, I would need to ask permission from, probably from Trump. I mean, I can't just do that. And he's like, well, if the boss wants us to do it. And Tavares basically just said, I, I don't know how to do it. So they said, well, what are we going to do? So then he goes back and tells Nauda. Now, all of this is on the camera footage <laughs> that they failed to get rid of. So it's just a huge addition to the obstruction of justice for Trump and Nauda and De Oliveira, who all pleaded not guilty. Whereas Tavares got his own lawyer and went back to Jack Smith and said, hey man, here's what actually happened. And then they look on the surveillance video that they ended up getting because this whole, this whole uh, Keystone Cops thing, just kind of like back in Watergate, was a complete failure. So Jack Smith is like, oh, that's why we saw him go through the bushes. Okay, it makes sense now. <laughs> it's, it's a comedy routine. It's comedy. Everybody, what, what I want to talk about in the next segment, we're going to take a break here, but what I want to talk about, at least for part of the next segment, is just how dumb do you have to be to be working for Trump? By the time it got to be, you know, 2021, 2022, 2023, just how dumb do you got to be? And a lot of them were dumb even before that. But yeah, it was just a a really big week news wise. And uh, some of it points out just how dumb some of these people are. Nauda and De Oliveira pleading not guilty is going to make them go to prison for a very long time. And it's because they're being advised by Trump lawyers. They didn't go the route of Tavares and find their own lawyer and start to tell the truth. Tavares is cooperating. 
He ended up not breaking any laws, except that he lied the first time he talked to uh, Jack Smith's people. That's the only crime that he's committed. And he basically then cooperated. So I think he's probably not going to go to jail. But Nauda and D. Oliveira are going to go to jail unless they turn. And we also got names of other people that may have turned. We don't know. They're unindicted co-conspirators. Why were they unindicted? Some very important people. Well, let's take a break and we'll come back and talk about that here on A Satellite View. I'm Todd Mickelson. We'll be right back. just happened, I believe this morning, might have been yesterday afternoon, Mark Meadows was trying to get his his uh, indictment separated and taken out of the state of Georgia and put in federal court. That was denied either this morning or yesterday afternoon. So that's really bad for him, not for us. That's really bad for him and it's really bad for Donald Trump because Donald Trump wanted to do the same thing. And Mark Meadows' case was better than Donald Trump's. There were a few other people who wanted to do the same thing too. Mark Meadows had the strongest case to do so, and he lost. So none of these people are going to be able to get their cases put into federal court. If you're found guilty in state court, you cannot be pardoned by the president. So any Republican president would not be able to pardon Donald Trump or Mark Meadows or any of these other 18 people. Now, Fonnie Willis just released the special grand jury big long report. And there were other names that were not indicted, but were recommended by that court to be indicted. Why were they not indicted? One of them was Michael Flynn. Why was he not indicted? Is he chirping like a bird to the authorities against Donald Trump? Hmm. Also, Lindsey Graham. And Lindsey Graham, in a statement trying to explain why his name was, you know, recommended for an indictment, he was very careful. You know, he's a lawyer, too. They're all lawyers. So he was in front of cameras, and he kept repeating certain things. Like, I feel very comfortable in my vote to certify the election of 2020. He repeated that, I don't know how many times. And he spoke for too long, like for a full 10 minutes. So he kept repeating himself. He looked very paranoid. But, of course, he was staying really calm. But repeating something like that, and also he repeated, when he made his phone call to Raffensperger, the Secretary of State of Georgia, and pressured Raffensperger, said, yeah, I was feeling very pressured by Lindsey Graham to throw out votes. Lindsey Graham said, I... I made that phone call from my office, and my full staff was on the call with me. He repeated that many times. So 
that's his case. That's what he's going to try and argue in court. And it's just very telling that he's as guilty as hell and is desperate for a, a defense. Another thing we found out this week, Evan Corcoran. He's a lawyer I talked about in the last segment. He was the guy at Mar-a-Lago who wouldn't put his name on an affidavit that went to the FBI saying that this is all we have left. Now, he was deceived by Trump as well. And that's been proven by these surveillance videos. And I almost said tapes. They don't use tape anymore. Anyway, it was obvious that Evan Corcoran said, okay, I, I need to go through these boxes in this certain room. So then Trump had Nauda and somebody else move those boxes out of that room because he wanted to hide them from Corcoran. And Corcoran was suspecting this. And that's why he wouldn't put his name on that affidavit to the FBI, because he knew that would be breaking the law. Corcoran is now completely cooperating with the authorities. Basically, he was told, if you don't comply with the grand jury, you're going to uh, be in trouble here. And he began to, like so many people who have meetings with Trump, right after the meeting, he would record into his phone a voice memo saying, okay, here's what just happened in my meeting with Trump. I said, I need to go through these boxes. He said, I don't want anyone to go through those boxes, including you. I don't want anyone looking through my boxes. I don't want to show you my boxes. And then Corcoran said, okay, you've got a subpoena for these boxes. If you don't give them over, they're probably going to have a search warrant and they're going to come here. They're going to come here and you're going to have to let them in and they're going to have to look through everything and they're going to find those boxes and then you're in bad trouble. So he said that to the authorities, which proves that Trump knew that he couldn't keep those boxes. And he was told that the FBI is going to put forth a search warrant if you don't comply with this subpoena to give back all the boxes now. Corcoran told Trump that. And Corcoran now has told the authorities that. That's why people do this. They take notes right after a meeting so that it's fresh in their head so that they can report exactly what was said when it's fresh in their head. And that's what he did in these voice memos. Trump also in one of the meetings said, why, why don't we just tell them we don't have any boxes? And he's like, you can't do that. They're going to have a search warrant. Well, wouldn't it be better if we just didn't have anything? If we just told them we don't, we don't have anything. So then he started to move some of it to Westminster to make it disappear, even if the search warrant... Had, so Trump knew what he was doing and what he was telling other people to do. And he was lying to Evan Corcoran, his own lawyer. All of that stuff is highly illegal. So again, uh, kind of Keystone Cops sort of situation when Trump is in charge. How dumb do you got to be? Evan Corcoran sounds like he's not one of the dummies. He was like, okay... I'm in trouble here. I don't know why I took this job. You know, he was kind of a washed up lawyer. And I think he must have thought, hey, maybe I can get famous, you know, being a lawyer for Trump. And he, I think he started to think, oh, man, I should not have taken this job. And now he's cooperating. But another thing that happened this week was Peter Navarro was found guilty in his case of uh, contempt for Congress. Two counts of contempt of Congress for not appearing when he was subpoenaed to uh, testify to the January 6th committee. He thumbed his nose at them. He basically had no defense. And he's been making a fool out of himself every day since he was found guilty. He's got two counts. Each one can be up to a year in prison. 
and up to $100,000 fine. And he's already begging for money. He says he's completely broke. And he says this on TV. He goes out in the street and there's a bunch of protesters. Go, go on YouTube and just put in Peter Navarro. And uh, you'll, a lot of comedy. A lot of comedy comes up. But man, Navarro, he's just showing how absolutely dumb and stupid he is. It's unbelievable. It's really unbelievable. Just like Walt Nauta and, and uh, Carlos de Oliveira. How dumb are you, man? You're, you're, you're so dumb that you're going to end up in prison for a very long time. Peter Navarro is going to go to prison at least for some time, possibly two years. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Another thing that happened this week is Tucker decided to go back to, I didn't even know about these rumors from like 2008, and they were obviously completely debunked, but he's talking about that Obama is gay and smokes crack when Obama hasn't been president for seven years, and he, he's all done. I mean, he's, you know, I mean, he, everybody still really loves him, and he, you know, he's doing some cool stuff. But in politics, he's irrelevant. He's already used up everything he can do. He was the president for eight years. So Tucker Carlson, I guess because they can't get anything on Biden, he's going back to Obama, and he's saying, he's saying Obama is gay, Michelle is a man, and Obama smoked crack with this crazy guy who's a, a criminal himself. He took a polygraph test and flunked it, and Tucker Carlson went there just this week, and it's because he's desperate. He's all done. Tucker Carlson's all gone. By the way, I stopped making predictions after Trump won in 2016. <laughs> I used to be really good at making predictions. I mean, I only have one witness to this, but when there were still, I don't know, eight or 12 candidates in the uh, 2008 primaries for the Democrats. I predicted that Barack Obama would emerge as the candidate and he would pick Joe Biden to be his vice president because Joe Biden is so good and knows so much and has so much experience in foreign policy. And that's the main criticism that people, including Hillary Clinton, were saying about Barack Obama. So Barack Obama would make up for it by having Joe Biden be his vice president. And I made that prediction during a debate when there were still eight or 12 people running, including Joe Biden, by the way, still running for president. And it came true. I've made a lot of predictions that came true. Of course, I was telling everybody there's no way Donald Trump's going to end up in the White House, and I was wrong. And then I just stopped making predictions because I just thought, okay, the world is upside down. To stick up for myself, I will say that Trump lost that election by three million votes. I predicted maybe about a month ago now, both on AM 950 radio and on this podcast, that Trump will not be the Republican nominee in the summer of 2024. And I stand by that. And there's more and more talk about the 14th Amendment. Colorado has probably now the strongest lawsuit they put forth to keep him off the ballot in Colorado. I talked about in the last episode of this podcast, you can go back and listen more in depth about the 14th Amendment. But this week has gotten even stronger than last week did, talking about the 14th Amendment. It really looks like the 14th Amendment might keep him off. The fact that he might be sentenced to prison early next summer or late next spring might keep him off. Many, many reasons why I'm making that particular prediction and sticking to it. 
Now I want to switch gears here. Also, last time you heard me talk about that we need to not be so negative. We, you know, aren't you getting sick of, of being mad at all these people? I see Peter Navarro make a fool of himself on the sidewalk. And yes, he's a complete idiot and he deserves what he's getting. But I still, I don't like to see people be scared. Harry Dunn, one of the Capitol Police, he's now pretty well known because he testified before the J6 committee. He's one of the guys who got beat up and stuff on January 6th. He is still very involved in this. He tries to go to trials of the January 6th people uh, because, you know, he wants justice and he wants these people to go to jail. He actually got into the Enrico Torrio trial earlier this week where Enrico Torrio was sentenced. It was his sentencing trial. He was sentenced to 22 years in prison. And Harry Dunn said, I happened to be sitting like right behind him and in front of his family. I was between him and his family. I wanted him to go to jail for as, uh, you know, forever. And when I saw him get sentenced to 22 years, I hated, he, he said on TV this, this week, he said, empathy sucks. I wanted to revel in this guy going to prison forever. But when I saw him get sentenced to 22 years and I saw his mother and his sister and his family have to go through the horror of realizing this guy's going to be in jail till he's in his 60s, his whole life. Harry Dunn said, I, I, had, I, I hated seeing it. I hated seeing him suffer. He's a fellow human being. Yeah, I'm glad he's going to prison and he deserves to go to prison, but I did, that moment I did not like witnessing. I remember feeling the same thing when I saw, what's his name? Oh, Derek Chauvin. I remember feeling the same thing when Derek Chauvin, the policeman who was convicted for the murder of Floyd, he had a mask on, but you could still see the terror in his eyes. Just the, wow, I'm really going to prison. I don't like to see that. I think it started with reality shows in the late 90s. I remember somebody being into whatever the first one was, something about getting voted off an island. Survivor, I think it's called. And everybody was talking about it in the summer of, I think, something like 1998, maybe 97 or 8 or 99. And I watched a scene where they kicked somebody off the island. And I thought, why would anyone want to see this person be humiliated on TV? Why, why would anyone want to watch somebody be humiliated on TV? Even though this is a stupid show, but it was brand new. And these friends of mine were really into it. And I saw that scene and I just thought, wow, why? I, I'm not liking this at all. And and then you got all the, you know, these contest shows, the Americans Got Voice or... I've never watched any of these because I don't like seeing people get humiliated. I don't want to see people be sentenced in a courtroom. I don't want to see people humiliated on TV. Those reality shows played a huge part in the downfall of our society over the last 20 or more years, 25 years. You know, why do people want to see that? Why do people want to see other people suffer? I don't get it. So I talked about my friend who, uh, he and I talked about this and that he said, I'm sick of hating these people. I don't want to hate people. You know, 
they're other human beings. I don't, I don't want to have this feeling anymore. And he and I began to talk about what, what can we, how should we do this? Well, something interesting was just reported on. A coalition representing nearly every former president from Herbert Hoover to Barack Obama issued a collective call this last Thursday to protect the foundations of American democracy and maintain civility in the nation's politics. An alliance of presidential centers and foundations for U.S. leaders dating back nearly a century, both Democrats and Republicans, this is a historic first. Never before has such a broad coalition of legacy institutions from former administrations joined together on a single issue. They were careful to not name Donald Trump, but a lot of their statement is implicit that we need to stop doing what Donald Trump is doing. Each of us has a role to play and responsibilities to uphold, the statement says. Our elected officials must lead by example and govern effectively in ways that deliver for the American people. This, in turn, will help to restore trust in public service. The rest of us must engage in civil dialogue, respect democratic institutions and rights, uphold safe, secure, and accessible elections, and contribute to local, state, or national improvement. David Kramer, an executive director of the George W. Bush Institute, says, We just felt that there was a growing need to step back from the day-to-day headlines and, amid all the attention, remind ourselves of who we are, what makes us a great nation, and that we're rooted in an idea of freedom and democracy. It's not about an individual. It's not about one candidate or campaign. We just wanted to sort of stay at a higher level, and that's how we were able to get pretty much all the presidential centers united behind us. I agree with that. Uh, Of course, George W. Bush contributed in a huge way. Mostly his vice president, uh, Dick Cheney, contributed in a huge way to this division. But hey, we got to start somewhere. The bigger the entities that are pushing for this type of thing, you know, trying to get us to remember that we need to play by the rules that we all agreed to in this country. All of us agreed to these laws and institutions. We need to respect them. They're ours. Jack Smith didn't indict Donald Trump. Joe Biden didn't indict Donald Trump. A grand jury of regular American people indicted Donald Trump. We need to find ways of not being so opposed to each other. I know that's kind of what I do on this show is I I point out all the horrible things that, and it's funny, it's Republicans who seem to be doing it. There, There are some bad players on the Democratic side, definitely. But right now, the Republicans want to tear down our democracy. But just a very few of them, very few of them, most of them would probably, uh, I would agree with how, uh, most of what they think about how America should be ran and what should happen in America. Vast majority of Republicans want gun reform. They want abortion to be legal. They, you know, they agree with Democrats on a lot, a lot of things. And we got to get back to a place where we can coexist again, because we're not there right now. And like my friend from Boston and, and, and I talked on the phone about 
I'm sick of this. I'm sick of it. I'm still going to make fun of them on this show. <laughs> because justice needs to be done. I, I, I want to point out what's going on. I want to point out how ridiculous things are with basically the Trump people. I call them the Magots. They make up a very, very, very small part of this country. So I'm going to try and be careful to not just say all Republicans, although I, I don't understand how you can call yourself a Republican and still be a human being right now. And I know a lot of Republicans have gotten out of the Republican Party because they agree with what I just said. So we need to at least start by being together with those people. I should only use the term Magots and not the term Republicans. Because all the elected official Republicans who, you know, the, I keep saying the, the brain power is gone in the Republican Party, and it's because the elected officials are held hostage and being taken over by the Magots. It's still the Magots who are to blame. I'll keep trying to uh, rack my brain on if there's any more ideas. I just thought this was kind of an interesting thing about all these presidential institutes agreeing on this. Maybe it's a step in this direction that my friend and I were talking about last week. We have run out of time again. So much to talk about. Every week just gets so filled up. But I'll try and bring it at you so that you don't have to uh, try and organize it yourself. And we'll try and analyze it in a fun way that hopefully we learn from our past to make a better future here on A Satellite View. I'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to A Satellite View with Todd Mickelson. Go to ToddMickelson.com for links and more information.